Hello, Monetization Nation. Can you imagine creating a company so successful that 95% of the Fortune 500 companies purchased your product or service? In today's episode, I interviewed Robert Teachin, who helped start a company called Policy Tech, which was the leading global provider of online policy and procedure management software. The company was later acquired by Navex Global, where Rob then served as the Vice President of Product Planning and Management. Navex Global is now the largest ethics and compliance software and the largest policy and procedure software in the world. It had 95% of the Fortune 500 as clients. More than 350 higher education institutions are Navex clients. It has more than 13,000 customers and more than 70 million employees are protected by Navex. After Navex, Robert was president of Bitesize, a company that joined psychology, mentorship, and technology. Then Rob co-founded and ran Camtiva, which provides hospitals with a safeguard against improper billing. He now teaches entrepreneurial leadership, management, and strategy at BYU-Idaho. After this intro, Rob will share stories and secrets about some innovative and successful strategies he used to grow his highly successful organizations. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. I'm here today with Rob Tejan. Rob has a master's degree in communications. Um, he served as the uh, marketing director of a hospital for eight years. He later started an international company called Policy Tech. Tell me about your entrepreneurial journey. Tell me your entrepreneurial story. Okay. So just to start out with, I had no desire whatsoever to be an entrepreneur. So it kind of started out where I actually ended up helping a brother build a small B2B website development business back in the 90s uh, before businesses knew what websites were. And so that was very difficult. Um, but as I went around and tried to sell those, uh, ended up actually landing my first job as I ended up uh, taking the role of director of marketing at a local hospital I worked at. I, I hated healthcare, never wanted to go into healthcare either, but I actually loved it. I so much enjoyed that experience. Uh, I was also in charge of the education program and uh, it was just a fantastic thing. I learned some things about myself I didn't know. But uh, while I was there, um, one of my family members said, hey, let's, uh, create a, let's create a maze. You've seen all these corn mazes and straw mazes and stuff. And they had this great idea for a, an adventure maze made out of mesh, you know, a construction mesh. And uh, I really didn't want to do it, but you got to support the family. So I went out there and helped them try to figure it all out and to uh, work with them on processes and everything to make it work and, and designing, getting the, the profit formula and all that stuff down and marketing. And we had a great time and then learned a great lesson about location and had to close that business down just a few years later. So, but it was a fantastic experience because I really learned about how, um, how much my family could be trusted and how much uh, that uh, I could work with them. So that actually came into value later on in my life. As I continued at the hospital, there eventually came a point in time where we needed some software to manage our policies and procedures. And 
we, it was just a nightmare. We had 15, 17 binders actually in every single department, about 35 different departments, those big thick D-ring binders uh, full of policies and procedures. And nobody knew where anything was. And we're talking thousands and thousands of procedures. And I had a full-time staff who just went around and was changing them out all the time, even though nobody would ever take a look at them. Nobody pulled the binder off the shelf. And so um, I called my brother up one day and say, hey, how would you like to build some software to help me manage this mess? And he said, sure. How much does it pay? I said, well, you're my brother. He didn't laugh. He, uh, he knew that I was pretty much serious about that. So. But so I finally went and I got some funds and I said, okay, look, it's not a lot, but would you do it for this? And he said, well, I'll give you a, a basic a minimum viable product for that. So we did that and uh, got something out there working for them. Several years later, had another brother that said, hey, let's get this thing really built the way you want. Let's take it and try to, to monetize it and, and uh, get it out on the market. And so we did. Uh, took about a year of working every day uh, before and after work. And him, fortunately, he wasn't uh, married or had any commitments. So he just uh, lived in the parents' basement because that's where all good companies start and worked on that thing all day and all night. And uh, a year later, we pumped out this product. And it was a slow start because I didn't understand the, the business world and how long you know, a sales turnaround is for something like an enterprise software. And so our sales didn't come for about six months. And then it wasn't probably till a year and a half later that they really started to be building growth. But eventually I ended up having to leave the hospital and go run this company. And it was, I didn't want to, really had no desire, tried to get somebody else to do it. Finally decided I needed to do it. And uh, I, Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was just a fantastic experience. And we just had a lot of a lot of great times, a lot of stress, of course, but uh, built that thing for several years and then uh, pulled on some of the largest companies in the industry, worldwide companies, and uh, eventually sold it off. And I did stay with that new company, as you mentioned. Um, and I stayed on and was the vice president over. They actually was five to four different companies brought together. And I was actually uh, in charge of all the software product uh, design for all of those companies. And so I would oversee those and uh, work with the CEO on that from one of the other companies. So wonderful experience, really loved it there. Um, but uh, eventually said, I think it's time to, to try something new and, and left for a little while, tried the retirement thing. It's not, not for me. So I went back and uh, started working on some other startups and as well did a lot of consulting in the meantime. Till finally, one day I said, you know what, it's time to go teach. This is what I really wanted to do. And uh, now I'm in a position where I can actually afford to do it because <laughs> uh, with 10 kids on a teaching salary, it won't work, work very well. And it's, it has been a fantastic opportunity being up here. Are there any uh, success metrics you can share for Navex Global. I know that's a very successful company. How can we communicate that to our readers and establish that you're a credible expert because of what you've built? Well, Navex Global actually uh, is now the largest ethics and compliance software in the world. Um, they 
And our software, we were the largest policy and procedure management software. We got to that point. Uh, one of my visions uh, was that our goal was to actually become the number one policy and procedure management software worldwide, which meant a lot of pain because we had to deal with uh, language issues and building that into the software, et cetera. But we ended up pulling on some of the very largest companies, Navex Global, uh, between us and Navex Global, we actually ended up having um, 95% of the Fortune 500 oh as clients. Goodness. And uh, yeah, you name a, a large organization out there that you can think of and, and they're one of the clients. So, so okay. that was fascinating. Uh, starting where we were yeah. and to end up dealing with those kind of companies was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, you're being very modest, and, and I love the statement where you talked, to, where you shared about 95% of the Fortune 500 companies. In addition to that, I'm, I'm looking at the Navix Global website, and more than 350 higher education institutions are Navix clients. Navix has more than 13,000 customers worldwide, and more than 70 million employees are protected by, by Navix. That's a pretty amazing thing that you created in your parents, you helped create in your parents' basement. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't even seem real at times, but uh, it was fantastic. And I think the greatest thing was, is that as we dealt with those companies, getting to know those people and uh, finding, you know what, they're dealing with the same stresses that all of us are. And, uh, and I'm really good friends with a lot of them. They're just wonderful people out there. And so it was a lot of fun. Okay. so. In this journey, um, let's talk about credibility first. Um, what credibility stories or secrets have you seen in your entrepreneurial journey or in other companies um, that you could share with, with our listeners and viewers? Sure. Um, you know, it was kind of a difficult thing for a company like ours because we're not big enough to be on anybody's radar and it's such a niche software to be just in this small, you know, policy and procedure management, like who cares about that, right? And so you couldn't really show up on review sites where people would go and say, hey, we think this is amazing or we're doing any comparisons between different software platforms. There was none to compare with. And so that was a very difficult thing for such an early stage enterprise software company. Um, in our situation, a few of the things we did, and I, I know a lot of companies do this, uh, go out to Inc. 5000 and, and uh, grab that. Uh, you know, a lot of new companies can go do that and say, hey, we're one of the top 5,000 companies in growth. And we actually, I think we're number 75 or something like that when we first got out there, which was really cool. But uh, it's one of those things where it's why well, you just basically have to pay money in order to show up on their thing. And then they, they will evaluate you. And a lot of companies can do it. But that looked good on the website. So we could add some credibility, you know, for marketing that we have. They go, oh, these guys are an 5,000 company. Yep. Um, one of the coolest things for us, though, is, is uh, we were, you know, getting influencers. Influencers is huge to get some who understand the product, understand what the value proposition is, and be able to share that with, uh, with their audience is fantastic. And one of the things that happened to us, and and uh, this is kind of a funny story. So when I set my vision of that we wanted to be the worldwide uh, leading global provider, I said, I'll know we'll achieve that when one, we're able to pull a certain software company that's close to Seattle 
as one of our clients um, that I can't name. And uh, the other one was if we could ever get the American Hospital Association to endorse us. I don't know why that was a big thing for me, but it was just because I just come from a hospital uh, background and I had seen that they had endorsed other software companies. I thought, wow, that would be amazing if they would do that. Well, this was one of those tiny miracles for me because uh, one day they called us up and said, hey, we're looking at policy management software solutions and we saw you and we'd like to review you. And this has only been a couple of years into our business. And the crazy part was, is I did not know when I had that goal that they actually only did a handful of software companies. Like it's not like they did every single software company. They just had a handful that they actually endorsed because they said, we don't really do that. There's just once in a while, there'll be opportunities of a certain type of software that we think makes sense. And so the fact that we got that, even when they just don't do that, uh, was amazing. They actually compared us with 27 other uh, providers. I didn't even know they existed. And, uh, and we ended up getting the endorsement for them and maintain that endorsement still till today uh, because it was the, the leading solution at the time. And so I'd say going out and finding, you know, um, organizations or whatever that can review you if you're in a position whether there's just not a place where people can go and give reviews is fantastic. Case studies is huge. Um, I, I loved, I had a, a great mentor in sales who once told me you never give away anything. Uh, if you're going to, to, you know, everybody wants to give a customer a discount. The customer says, hey, I will do it, but only if you give us this discount. Always be prepared to do quid pro quo. Say, okay, well, I don't know if we can do something. Let me see, come back and say, I'll tell you what, we can do this, even though you were planning on doing it anyway. We can do this, but in exchange, you know, could you do something for us? And we did that like crazy. And we would get customers to give us case studies where they would then share with us, okay, I'll do basically a case study sharing how this has impacted our organization, do metrics, et cetera. And then we could publish those case studies out so that other clients could see it uh, as well. Have clients actually be willing to be, re, uh, what do you call it? Uh, references that they could call and go visit and go see and discuss, you know, how this has worked for them. And so those types of things for an organization like us was just, it was huge. And especially when we were able to get them with the types of clients we were able to. You, to have 95% of the Fortune 500 as your customers, that's a pretty safe assumption that you guys were, were generating a lot of revenue. And a lot of that was, or almost all of that was recurring revenue. I assume they paid you every year, every month, for access to that software. Yes, yes, that is correct. And, and that I think is a fascinating model. You know, it, it was really kind of new when we started. Uh, in fact, I know there were some companies that were just really struggling to get their clients to allow them to you know, host their software on their own systems rather than going installing it at particular, you know, at the actual locations and, and to allow for subscription type model. And uh, that really has just changed the whole market. And having software as a service is, is uh, very profitable, mostly because it allows you to know exactly what you're budgeting every year. And they already have it budgeted, so they know this is always coming out and it's not always a decision they have to make every year. Should we do this again? It's just all set up and ready to go. And we know what we have to build off of. So yeah, it makes it a lot easier to maintain.
So tell me about that decision-making process. When you guys decided to be one of the pioneers in the software as a service space, how did, how did that decision-making process go? Um, it was very difficult, to be honest, because especially hospitals um, and banks, they did not like the idea of their, um, their policies and procedures being somewhere that they didn't have access. Because what if their power goes down, their internet goes down, anything that might sever them from something they have to have to give patient care immediately. And, uh, and so for the first while, we just could not get it across. But eventually we just started saying, hey, look, you know, it's this much, but if you want to do this on an annual basis, we can cut it down to this much and that should fit in your budget. And we had enough clients that it wasn't as big a deal start saying, yeah, we'll do it. But eventually they're saying, but we need proof that it's going to be up. And so we had to put in a lot of uh, uh, rigor behind it to prove that it, it, they're going to be up 99.9% .9 of the time. And they're not going to have issues. And, uh, and that was a little bit of a costly enterprise, but it was worth it. Um, and eventually then, as we could started to work with the others and explain, and I think it's only this year that they've actually finally said, okay, everybody, we're just going to be software as a service. You've all got to get off of your real models, but everybody trusts it now. We built the credibility by now that it's okay. Yeah. So. And the software as a service model has built its credibility that people are a lot more comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Are there any fun stories that are company lore or that, that you would like to share from your, your time building such a successful business? Sometimes where things didn't go right or things did go right. Um, but we'd love to hear a few more stories if, if you'd like to share those. Yeah, you bet. Um, Well, I will tell you, you know, just as I said, it was still a major surprise to me to be dealing with companies the size we were. And, and uh, when that one certain software company that I can't name approached us, I was pretty hesitant. I was like, I, you know, why do you want this? What are you going to do? You're just going to steal this and go make your own type of thing. And as I grilled the compliance officer there, he said, no, I promise you. He says, that's not it at all. I said, well, why don't you just get it built you know, by your team? And he said, are you kidding? Do you think I can get those guys to spend too? I'm, I'm not even on the latest version of our operating system. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he says, they, they won't talk to me. And so, uh, which was typically the case with, you know, policy and procedure management. Nobody really wants to know or care. And uh, so it was, I, I understood where he was coming from. But uh, so that was kind of funny. Um. Are, were there any questions, uh, Rob, that that I sent you via email that you wanted to answer that I didn't ask you yet? Or are there any other questions that you'd like me to ask you? This has been a really good interview. I'm really excited to publish this. And I will let you view the edited version before we publish it. Make sure you're okay with it. Make sure you're not saying something that's going to get you in trouble with Navex or something like right. that. <laughs> no, I don't think there's anything. Those guys, like that last story I told you, they tell the same story all the time. Like that guy, he stood up to me and da da da. And they think it's hilarious. I think it's fun. So there's nothing that I'm too worried about that I've said. Do you guys talk about job to be done? Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, yeah. yeah. Share what you what you'd like to share on that. Um, I guess my question is: Is do you ever explain that? Should I explain it at all? Kind of what that means and how it applies. Yes, please. Okay. 
this the the audience the viewers of this are entrepreneurs of all the entire spectrum of entrepreneurship so okay. yes please explain so that. some will get it some will know what we're talking about and some aren't uh well why well, don't i've got a list of about six things i can go through quickly and just share some thoughts on each one if you want and then you can decide what's what's good to keep okay. so if you just want to go with your fourth question i guess any stories or secrets I can share monetization. what's the question you want me to ask you any stories or secrets you'd like to share about digital monetization okay is that right okay so rob do you have any stories or secrets about digital monetization that you would like to share yeah, there's, there's a few things. Um, so when we try to get, you know, convert our clients uh, into actual sales, uh, a few things that we found are very helpful. Uh, one is, is, is we were doing our, our website uh, development and our SEO and our, our conversion tracking. One of the biggest things we found is, is you know, I, I could build out a website to death explaining every single benefit and value and all this stuff. But the truth was, is most people didn't go past the first page. And so just putting free trial right there, putting demo now right there or buy now, uh, you'd be surprised how much that increases, at least for us, increase our traffic to just have it right up front. And they would never spend the time in the rest until after they've decided this is what I'm looking for. If they didn't see this is what I'm looking for right now and right away and find out a way that they could get to that, then they probably uh, didn't want to read the rest. But once they decided, then they would go and spend the time with the rest. So it's very critical, that front page, that you can tell them immediately. And we found for us, because ours is kind of complex, that a video was the best way to do that. Sometimes you can do it just with an image uh, and they can know, okay, this is what I'm looking for. But for us, they had to have a little video. Tried writing it out. It just doesn't work. You know, people will sit and watch a video, but they don't want to sit there and read stuff very much. So if you can get a video for us anyway, we found that a much higher click-through rate. We did a lot of nurturing leads. Um, since ours was such a long sales cycle, we spent a lot of time nurturing leads. And what we found was if we could give something of value free to them, uh, that would keep them interested. It's like, I don't have to pay for this, but this is related to what I'm my, my job to be done the issues that I'm dealing with. So we created an, an ebook series on how to manage policies and procedures. And we would just send a little thing, you know, once a week. And then at the bottom, I always say, hey, if you're looking for a way to, to solve even more problems with policy procedure management, come look here. Something to just keep them engaged and just keep moving along until they were finally ready and could get budgets approved and, and at least come take a look. So... In today's world, that's called drip marketing, or yeah. some people call those follow-up funnels. Right. Uh, those are highly effective, and it sounds like those were highly effective for you, selling 95% Definitely. Of, of the Fortune 500 companies, especially for the higher trust sales, the ones that have longer sales cycle cycles. Um, you can nurture those relationships over time so that when they're ready to make a purchase, they, they know who to turn to, and they trust you more uh, because of that process. Yes, exactly. Sounds like you were ahead of your time with a lot of these things. Yeah, you know, we were we were blessed in a lot of ways, really grateful, and uh, had a lot of great mentors. Uh, that is one thing I am really grateful for. I had uh, was linked up with several people who are willing to to educate me and to share with me, and uh, so it's time for me to pay it forward. Thank you for sharing. Those are some really good stories. 
And now you're teaching. Now you've made enough money. You don't have to work anymore. I don't have to work anymore. And you're choosing (laughs) to teach, which is your passion. And that's really, that's a great example of how money, like a lot of people think that having money is associated with being greedy. Um, But a principle that I'm teaching in my book is how money is the rocket fuel that helps us, helps propel us to do the things God wants us to do in our lives, right? Take care of the things that really matter, our family and our health and our faith and, and teaching, right? Making the social contribution that, that you're feeling driven to make, you're now able to do that because you successfully monetized your business. Exactly. There really is. That is one of the greatest things that I've learned is, is you know, I think it's a lie. Uh, we have this perpetual lie there. It was like, hey, the goal is to retire. Goal is is to try to hurry and get everything so you can get to a point where you can just retire and not and do whatever you want to do. Um, almost everybody that I've met that has gotten to that state has come to the stark realization that there's nothing on the other side. The ability to add value to other people's lives and to help raise them up uh, is so much more enjoyable than puttering around the house and going golfing and doing those things. Uh, and so, and I found that out really quickly and I was like, you know what? I had such a much more wonderful experience. It's hard, stressful, but that's where we find joy is through the stress, through the work and through the benefiting others. And having a student, I had a student come in yesterday and just says, I don't understand. Why are you guys doing this? Why you could be out there making a ton of money and uh, you're, you're here with us. And I said, I don't know how to explain it, but this is where I truly find uh, my self-actualization. So I really have enjoyed uh, talking to you and get to know your story. You sound like you've had quite the ride. That's really cool. Nothing compared to your ride, though. You've been you've been phenomenal. I don't know. Different. But I think yours is pretty fantastic. Thank you so much, Rob, for sharing your stories and secrets with us today. Here are a few of the key takeaways that stood out to me from today's episode. Number one, use credible organizations to review our products and services to build credibility. Number two, make it easy for clients to find information and make purchases on our websites. Number three, establish good lead nurturing strategies. Number four, work hard to show our clients our companies are trustworthy. Number five, try out opportunities that you aren't sure you'll love. You may enjoy them or at least learn something from them. Number six, find good mentors along the way. They'll help guide you and give you great advice. Number seven, don't be afraid to dream big. Number eight, if you don't want to retire yet, you don't have to. Use your time to share what you've learned with others. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive more great and free digital monetization content. Number one, Visit monetizationnation.com to get a free monetization assessment of your business, to subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine or follow the blog. Number two, subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. Number three, you can connect with me, Nathan Gwilliam, on LinkedIn. Number four, you can follow Monetization Nation on Instagram or Twitter. Thanks for watching or listening today. I hope you have a fabulous day. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free 
And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.